going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is a special Q&A because I am not here alone, which was actually a nice change of pace uh, to have somebody on the podcast today to do the Q&A with me, something I actually enjoy. And if you guys like having multiple people on the show um, from my team and talking like we did today, please let us know. Like, Tag us on Instagram. Obviously, take a screenshot. Share it on your story. Tag me. Tag Caroline. Let us know you like it. Uh, but shoot me a DM. Shoot me an email. Cody at BoomBoomFarms.com. I would love to know if you actually do enjoy these so we can do them more because, to me, it's fun having somebody else to share ideas with on the podcast. So, as I already kind of alluded to, Caroline, Boom Boom Performance's very own nutrition coach, Caroline, is on the show today with me to answer questions. Um, We covered a lot of things. We covered some stress management, lifestyle-based questions. We covered about balancing your life between work and training and all these different factors. And actually, our answer would probably surprise you because I think it's completely opposite from what most people lead you to try to believe. Most successful people tell you um, balance is everything. You can balance, blah, blah, blah. We kind of take a different approach, and and I think you'll uh, respect and enjoy our answer on that. We talked on nutrition, somatotypes, training. We talked on a lot of cool stuff. And once again, it was fun to have somebody else on the show to uh, break down these questions for uh, you guys, to do it with me, to have a conversation around the questions instead of just me, one opinion, answering questions like I usually do. Uh, we also touched on her story a little bit, so it was cool to hear and learn a little bit more about Caroline, even for myself to hear about her river rafting days, which I wasn't fully aware of. I didn't know she went that in depth with uh, river rafting, which is really cool to hear. Uh, but to kind of give you guys an insight on why she's on the team, why she's great at what she does, and exactly what she's been through in the fitness and nutrition space and how she's learned and how she's grown and how she's experienced different forms of overtraining, undereating, extreme CrossFit, bodybuilding, all these different modalities um, that she's gone through personally, which I believe is what helps mold her into a great coach on her team. So I'm really excited to introduce her to you guys formally. She's been on the team for a while, but I haven't brought her on the show and let her really tell her story. And then I'm also really excited because I got to do the Q&A, not by myself this time, but with a good friend and a coworker, Caroline, from the team. So without any further ado, let's get on to the show, the Q&A special with Coach Caroline. All right. So finally, we have Boom Boom Performance Nutrition Coach Caroline on the show today. Um, we've been trying to do this for a while, and I like to get all my coaches on the show so we can do a Q&A and just kind of introduce you to the the crowd, the subscribers, everything like that, the listeners. So before we do get into the questions, because we got some good ones today, can you give us a brief introduction to um, who you are and why you are a nutrition coach? Yeah. Hey guys, Coach Caroline here. Um, so I am talking to you all from Colorado. That's where I live right now. Um, found my way here actually through raft guiding. So that's kind of what brought me to this beautiful state and this beautiful little small mountain town I live in in Salida, Colorado. And I got into nutrition after beating myself up for a long time um, with CrossFit and, and then doing CrossFit on top of raft guiding, never really feeling full or fueled. Um, that kind of led me to just dig through like what is all this nutrition information out there and educate myself so that I could first and foremost fuel myself and then I just loved it so much and loved CrossFit and wanted to see other people get the results that I had by you know eating real food and learning about macros so that's kind of what led me to be a nutrition coach let's I want to talk about rafting real quick 
Um, Cause we touched on that when you were here in Seattle for dinner, like what got you into that? And, and when you say raft guiding, are you talking like, I know there's levels, right? There's like level four or five. I think that's what it's called. But is it like you're going through crazy rivers with waterfalls and rocks and shit like that? Like explain to us. Um, kind of. So what got me into it is that after I graduated school from uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, I was working in a corporate job and I was there for about a year and I was working as a food buyer there, but it turns out they were pretty much everything I was buying for the company was going into products for McDonald's, um, frozen foods, processed foods, all that sort of stuff that I'm not an advocate for. (laughs) So I had made it about a year there. And then when I realized I was basically working for McDonald's, I um, wanted to do something totally different. So one of my friends who was a ski instructor in Colorado at the time said, a lot of the ski instructors are raft guides in the summer. You should try that. And I was like, okay. And went to REI and maxed out my credit card buying a tent and all this crazy stuff that I needed to live outside. Um, And then got a job with a company in Buena Vista, Colorado. And we, the most popular section of river by me is called Brown's Canyon. It's actually a national monument. And the only way to see the canyon is by boat on the river. So it's really secluded. It is absolutely stunning. And that is a class three section of river. So it goes from like class one is like a lake basically. And class six is unrunnable. Like you're gonna die (laughs) if you go down that river. So I was class three, so it's kind of in the middle. So a bunch of awesome rapids. You know, we took small rafts, about six people usually were in my boat. Um, And the water level always fluctuates based on how much it snows here. So some rivers are dam release and they're always the same amount of water every day, but this river is determined by how much snow we get. So my rookie year, it was of course like a record breaking year since 95 or something. So it was just crazy high water. yeah, so it, it sometimes it was scary, you know, you got to work as a team with your boat, otherwise you're going upside down and swimming whitewater is not fun, <laughs> no matter what people say, <laughs> but, but um, it's definitely a good workout, you know, guiding rafts and then swimming a bunch and carrying rafts and, but it was, a, it was a good time. That's great. Like literally like you're working a corp job and you're like, you know what, I'm going to become a river raft guide. Like, Did you ever do that before? Were you always outdoorsy? Like, how did you just make that huge transition? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know how I did it. (laughs) I I had been rafting one time in New Zealand. And I don't know. I guess I just, I really did want something totally different. Like, I had always liked hiking and stuff. And I had been to Colorado once, I think. And I kind of thought, you know, well, that would be a cool place to live. And it sure as hell would be a challenge. So (laughs) yeah, I just kind of took the leap. And of course, my family and my friends were like, you are insane. You're leaving this steady paycheck, this nice office, like you're making good money. And you're going to go live in a tent. And like, have you ever been camping? (laughs) So there was a learning curve. But 
it turned out for the best. I'm still here. (laughs) I love it too, because it's obviously like you're chasing your passion, you know, and you know, my story too, is I left secure paycheck to continue chasing my passion too. So I think that's more important than any financial um, advantage that you could possibly have. Uh, Are you a uh, quote unquote adrenaline junkie? And I ask because you like hiking, you like river rafting, and then obviously you have a history in CrossFit. So it's like, jumping to the extreme when it comes to fitness as well like do you find that you're kind of in that category yes i know my my poor parents my brother's actually a skydiver and and i was a rat guide my mom's like what did i do wrong (laughs) but um i guess i am i don't know where that came from i don't know if it's just because i kind of was on the straight and narrow until i graduated college basically and I didn't really take risks growing up. So maybe that's why, like, you know, I just, I studied, I got good grades, I went to a good school, I got the good corporate job. So maybe it just, I was sick of that. And I was like, I'm not really living life. And so then I had to go to the extreme end and start CrossFit. And of course, I've been skydiving with my brother a handful of times and rafting and (laughs) yeah. Um, So I I guess, yes. I would never go skydiving. Like I, I'm not like terribly afraid of heights, but I just, that's one thing I couldn't do ever. It's not that scary. It's just scary jumping out of the plane. But then besides that, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's exhilarating. So let's, let's get into, uh, let's get into CrossFit a little bit. Um, so yeah. what have, what has your experience been with CrossFit? You know, I know you're, um, I mean, you're strong, you perform well, we cut you down for a photo shoot. So you got super lean and obviously that took a hit on CrossFit. Kind of give me your whole story of like what you've learned in the process, what you've tried to accomplish and and what you're doing now. Yeah. So for a long time, like probably my first three years of doing CrossFit, I was of the mindset, high intensity all the time, you know, go into that workout, trying to basically be dead on the floor when you're done. And that means you did a good job. Um, But I got to a point, like probably around that three, four year mark of doing CrossFit like that, that I I wasn't super lean. I didn't have a six pack. I probably hit a kind of plateau and I wasn't feeling good. I was like, what, you know, I'm supposed to be super fit. Like I'm doing all this CrossFit. Why aren't I looking super shredded and you know why aren't I feeling really good all the time I'm such this intense athlete and it took me like a lot of introspection and talking to people and learning more about people who have transitioned out of CrossFit to understand that you if you're going to beat your body up that much you really have to be eating a lot more than what I was eating you know I definitely fell into that category of underfed and overworked um And again, that was kind of around the same time that I was getting into nutrition too and started to realize that. So I I tried to shift it as much as I could. That's when I kind of started adding in more bodybuilding style. You and I connected. I started on functional muscle and started cutting back my CrossFit and eating way more. Um, I think for last year's Open, I was eating something like 275 grams of carbs a day when I was doing the CrossFit Open. And um, you know, a lot of people out there are eating like a hundred grams of carbs and doing CrossFit who are smaller than me or bigger than me even. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been an adjustment, but once I started eating more and pushing that intensity, I 
finally started to feel a little bit better, but it wasn't until I kind of switched my focus to more aesthetic goals and wanting to get leaner that I realized I had to scale back my intensity and add in some different kinds of workouts um, to be able to do it the right way, you know, instead of crash dieting or overworking my body like I already had, I really tried to take a step back and shift my goals and then also shift my macros. I love it because the interesting part of me taking you through that process too was like, we didn't completely take out CrossFit because you love CrossFit, right? And I think that's where people go wrong. They think like, oh, I have to switch to bodybuilding. I'm just going to bodybuild now. And it's like, well, no, you can do both. You just have to be smart about it. So, and this is where people think it's counterintuitive, but it's not. You took out some CrossFit and then you actually did better in the CrossFit you were doing. So we were like, hey, let's start this cut. You started getting leaner. But then all of a sudden you're like, why am I hitting PRs in my CrossFit workouts, even if they were only two, three times a week? But it comes- seriously, I think I went down to- two workouts a week and and the other days I was doing more functional muscle like bodybuilding style stuff and yeah I was hitting PRs for a couple weeks that I hadn't PR'd in you know a year so it was crazy just to let my body rest and recover a little more seriously helped my performance yeah and in mind you people listening that that was as we were going into a cut so we were actually getting ready to pull calories and start cutting her down and she was still starting to hit prs so that's why and and i say that because you said for a couple weeks but i'm sure if we didn't pull you into a deficit and we actually kept your calories up higher and we're just like let's just focus on performance and pull back on crossfit a little bit add bodybuilding in you probably would have had weeks and weeks and weeks of prs oh yeah yeah so um well, good. I love it. So let's, let's kind of get into, uh, we can just jump right into the questions. So I think most of these topics that we would talk about anywhere are probably going to pop back up. Um, but basically what we wanted to do today is just kind of introduce Caroline, talk a little bit about her story. So you guys know where she's coming from. She's kind of our, um, CrossFit expert on the team and she's going to be diving into a lot of CrossFit nutrition for us. Um, we all dabble in the CrossFit space. We all work with CrossFitters, but she's obviously, she's got a passion for it. And, um, it helps having somebody on the team who is like, in the trenches constantly. So I'm excited to have her here, but she's going to read the questions. I'm going to do my best to answer and she's going to chime in as we go. So let's get on to uh, the first one. All right. First question is coming from Kathleen Kavanaugh. Her question is, what is your method for adjusting macros? How do you know when to adjust and by how much? So the reason I actually wanted to put this question was because this is a client of mine. So she's in the boom, boom elite. And then she does nutrition with me. Um, She asked me this in her weekly assessment and I gave her a huge email answering back with like bullet points of like when I adjust, how I adjust. But I was like, this is a great question for the podcast for a couple of reasons. One to let the coaches know, listening to this, you should probably be educating your clients. Like I sat there and told a client what I do and why I do it. Like I told her my job description. So I want you guys to know, like, that's actually the right thing to do because we want to teach people how we're doing things. So long-term, because in two years, she probably won't be working with me anymore. um, She's going to know how to continue to do this. So how I adjust macros, it's so, and I'm excited to get your take on this too, because I think everybody's pretty different, but it really depends on so many things. Like the first thing is like, okay, well, why are we adjusting? Are we adjusting because she has aesthetic goals or performance goals. Are we trying to maintain weight, lose weight, gain weight? What, what's the outcome here? So that depends on that. Um, what's their diet history? And I think that's the biggest one that people forget about, right? They punch numbers in a calculator and they go, okay, this is what it is. But at the end of the day, we got to know, 
well, what have you been doing the last one to three months? What were you doing six months prior to that? And what were you doing last year, right? Like, let's look at the periodization of your nutrition over the last couple of years. And have you been chronically dieting? Because that's going to influence how big of an adjustment I make. So I, I take on people where I can make, and you saw this when we were reverse dieting you. Some weeks it was like, let's add five grams of carbs, five grams of fat, or 10 grams of carbs and two grams of fat. Let's see how your body reacts. If it reacts well, we know we can kind of keep inching along. If it like responds extremely well, we might be able to be a little more aggressive or we might make a bigger jump and notice like, okay, she gained two pounds and feels bloated. We probably jumped a little too quick. Let's pull back and let's slow the process down. So it really, really depends. I like to kind of stay in that five to 10% adjustment of total calories. So if somebody's calories are 2000, I'm going to adjust by five to 10% of that typically. Um, when we're talking about cutting. So if I'm cutting somebody, usually that's the case. But as I was kind of alluding to, like, I think with coaching, the magic is actually in the adjustments, right? Like we set calories for people and we see how their body responds. And then as soon as I make a tweak and see how their body responds to that, that's when I really know how things are going to work. And I think that's what people need to pick up on here because some people I can adjust 5% and boom, we're making progress again. Some people I can make 5% adjustments for six weeks and not see anything. But as soon as I hit that 25 to 30% mark of total calories being adjusted, now all of a sudden they start to make progress. Like that's, and that's especially true in a reverse diet setting. And this is where people get kind of frustrated. Like I, I'm a good example of this and I have a lot of clients of this. Like I reverse dieted when uh, Shannon was pregnant. I figured that was a perfect time to do it since we both wanted to eat more and just chill. <laughs> but I reverse dieted and I got my calories up to like 400 grams of carbs a day, like 75 grams of fat, um, mod, like body weight and protein, which is a lot for somebody who's not doing CrossFit, especially at that time I was just doing bodybuilding training since I couldn't leave the house too much. Um, and I was maintaining weight and making a five to 10% adjustment did nothing for me when I went to cut. I literally had to chop like 35% of my calories before my body started actually cutting. So I think it's important for people to know that there is no solid answer of how you adjust macros. Like it really is individual and it really comes down to how stubborn your body is. And when we coach with somebody, that's what we're trying to learn. Like how stubborn is this person? How well do they respond to stuff? And once we figure that out, then we can kind of start like picking apart and, and deciding like, okay, this person I can take an aggressive approach with. Um, I think mentally it, it, it matters too. And you can, you can probably agree with that. Like, does this, is this person going to adhere if I make a big cut or are they going to freak out? Some people want a big cut because they feel like they're doing something right. So, um, I think it just, it, it depends on so many factors, but I think the cool thing about this question is like understanding that there are ranges, but it's all, it's all up in the air depending on the person. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And one thing I want to add is that you shouldn't freak out if you're a client and your coach doesn't change your macros. And also on the flip side of that, as a coach, you shouldn't feel like you need to change your client's macros every single week. Sometimes it takes three to six weeks until you see that biofeedback change or you'll see body composition change without changing macros just because of how different everyone's body is, how different they respond to either cuts in carbs or fats, things like that. You know, so, I mean, this is your go-to answer, but it totally does depend. And sometimes you just need to hang out at the same macros for a while and let your body have time. So, and then she also asked, yeah, kind of how much, and you said five to 10%. I'd agree with that. And when in doubt, I'd probably err on the side of caution um, instead of, if someone's trying to gain, adding a ton of carbs, or if someone's trying to cut, 
doing a huge cut at once, I'd probably err on the side of caution and just take it slow and steady because that's going to do way less potential damage, if any, and, you know, just gives their body more time to adjust and you to learn more about the client too. I'm so glad you added that in because I think it's almost like a, um, not scarcity, but like people want, like if a client updates you and you don't want to make adjustment, but you feel like you need to make something. So they're happy. Like I remember that feeling. I remember, I know mentor clients that have talked to me about that. Like, man, I feel like I haven't adjusted anything in six weeks. And I'm like, well, you might not need to, man. Like half the reason coaching is so important is because accountability is going to provide the results to stay consistent. Um, and you're right. Like some people are like, it takes so long for their body to finally start um, showing progress from the tweaks that you made one, two, three, four weeks ago. Um, especially women, women have more sensitive hormones and they just take longer to adapt. And we all kind of know that, um, there's like commercials and different things, but like, you know, he starts drinking diet soda and loses 20 pounds. I've been on the paleo diet for six weeks and lost two pounds. And I'm a woman like that whole (laughs) concept, which is unfortunately (laughs) somewhat true. You know, it's a stereotype, but it also has some validity. And this is one of the reasons like men's hormones, are more resilient, they uh, or not more resilient, more easily flexible, I think, and they just kind of their bodies will adapt quicker. So I think that's super, super important to consider. And then um, I agree with the other thing too. Like I'm always conservative because, and and I've read this from a lot of other coaches as well. Like if I can give you 20 minutes of cardio three times a week and it starts creating a bigger energy expenditure and you start losing weight why would I jump to 40 minutes three times a week instead of 20, like straight to 40? Like, let's start with a lower amount. Your body might not see any results, but if it doesn't, cool, we'll just add 10 minutes. We can work up to that 40. Whereas if we jump right to that 40, we'll never know if 15 minutes would have worked for you, right? And we can take a slower process, less adaptation happens. And I think that's, I mean, obviously it doesn't just apply to cardio, it applies to, to calories as well. But I think that's so, so key. I'm glad you, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. All right, next question. Jeremiah Bear asks, thoughts on eating for your somatotype? So, yeah, and I think he, uh, he spelled that wrong. I copied and pasted. Sorry about that. But the somatotype, okay. do you, and this is basically, for anybody who doesn't know what a somatotype is, is there's endomorph, ectomorph, and mesomorph. Endomorph is kind of like our typical overweight, uh, thick bone, husky dude, or female uh, mesomorph is kind of like our athletic build like not super tall not super skinny not super big like they're kind of like a an athletic look um, or have the ability to become athletic and then ectomorph is tall and lanky skinny uh, thin bones stuff like that um, hard gainers quote-unquote um, before I give my opinions on this have you I mean do you use this ever have you like I know you're they talk about this in precision nutrition as well um, and I know you're certified with them as too what are your thoughts on this do you ever even consider this um, to be honest, I don't really take it into consideration. Um, I feel like when it comes up, it's something, you know, like an ectomorph that might come up because my client is like a, a marathon runner or a long distance runner or something. And so it's, I kind of would just assume that naturally, but I mean, your clients aren't going to come to you and tell you that. So I guess if you're kind of picking it up with their weekly photos, it's a good thing to know. And keep in the back of your mind for when you're making those macro adjustments. But I wouldn't say it's by any means like an end-all be-all because there are so many other factors. It's only three. There are only three types. So, and there's a million different kinds of bodies. (laughs) So 
it's, yeah, it's a good thing to know, but definitely not the number one, I would say. Yeah, I think I, so I actually looked into some studies on this too, like recently, um, because I answered this question on Instagram, I think, and then I looked into this and like, they did a study on this and they took those three and they broke it into eight categories. So it was basically like 65% ecto, 35% meso, and then vice versa. And it, it turned into this thing where it's like, you're literally just describing every single type of person's body fat level and height. And it's just not, I don't think it's very conducive. It's not going to help us very much. Um, and like to what you said, if I have a marathon runner that is super thin, whether they are 5'10 or 6'3, I'm going to consider them an ectomorph. But it's not because they are genetically predispositioned to be that way. It's probably just because their lifestyle and their sport and their eating habits created a very thin build. So if I take that person and we stop marathon running and we implement some bodybuilding and I increase their carbs and protein and do those things in six months time, you would meet them and be like, Oh, that's a mesomorph. And it's like, well, no, they're, they're an ectomorph, right? Because they were skinny and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I mean, shit, I lived my whole life in endomorph. I was overweight. And then now if you look at me, you'll be like, Oh, he's definitely a mesomorph, you know, five, nine, five, ten. I like to think I'm kind of muscular. <laughs> I'm lean. Like that's not an endomorph, but so I think the big thing to take away from this is like, I don't think they're, I don't think coaches need to worry about it. I don't think people need to worry about it. I think what people do need to worry about is if you look at a body type and you see that this person is extremely thin, you probably can assume that they have a faster metabolism. They probably um, need higher calories because you can tell they don't have a lot of muscle mass on their body. Um, you're probably going to want to do not super joint intensive exercise. They're probably not going to be best for CrossFit or powerlifting right out the gate. Maybe doing more like joint friendly bodybuilding stuff at first because they don't have a lot of fat or muscle or tendon beef to kind of help lubricate those joints through those processes. But that has nothing to do with being an ectomorph, right? It's just, again, it's just manipulating things. Now, in the other case of an endomorph, I'm not going to say, oh, you're an endomorph, so you have to eat like this. I'm going to say, you know what, you're overweight. So that tells me that your insulin uh, sensitivity is probably poor. You might be insulin resistant. And what that means is we're probably going to lean on a lower carb diet because you're probably not going to handle carbs too well. So let's time these properly. Let's focus on fats and proteins and let's start getting towards a goal. But that's where like that um, reverse dieting or just uh, ratio changing of macros comes into play. Because as, as somebody goes from endomorph to mesomorph because we're losing weight and building muscle, I can shift them away from a high fat into a more balanced approach or uh, a high carb approach. Um, and they can all kind of blend together. So I think somatotypes have, I think they have some validity that it just gives us an idea of like, oh, this person is in this category, we can set them up this way. But I don't think they're set in stone. Um, I don't think genetics play a major role. In, I mean, that's a lie. They do play a role. But I think epigenetics play a bigger role because my family all mesomorphs. My brother grew up with six pack athletic. My mom and dad were like super into soccer and Taekwondo and everybody was lean and fit and like mesomorph. And then I was like the black sheep. Like, I don't know why, but that was me. So it wasn't my genetics that predisposed me to that because everybody in my family's lean. It was my epigenetics. I just ate like shit and didn't exercise enough when I was a kid, plain and simple. So, um, I think there's a lot more that comes into play. And, uh, I think as coaches out there, I don't think you have to overthink it. Yeah. Just one good thing to take into consideration. Yep. All right. Next question. P. Goody. P. Goody nine. What has been your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? P. Goody. P. Goody is uh, this. <laughs> it makes me laugh that his name is P. Goody. So P. Goody. I love it. His name is Patrick Goodwin. And for the listeners, 
I trained Patrick Goodwin. He is a baseball player who um, I don't know if you are familiar with Eric Cressy, but a lot of listeners will be familiar with Eric Cressy. He is one of the most intelligent guys in the training space, especially when it comes to baseball. He is the go-to guy that works all the pros, blah, blah, blah. Um, P. Goody, Patrick's dad, reached out to Eric Cressy. Eric Cressy referred him to Vigor Ground, where I used to train at, um, to train with somebody, and I took him on as an intern. So when I was an intern, I think I was 19. I, my, my boss at the time, my mentor at the time, Luca Hosevar, handed P. Goody, Patrick, to me and said, hey, I want you to train this kid. He's coming here for baseball. This will be like your first client. So he was literally like one of my first three clients. And then I got a job there, and I kept training him. And he was 13 years old, maybe 14. And I trained him, no shit, all the way until he was in college playing baseball, which is crazy. So he was, yeah, so it wasn't like a year-round or a weekly thing. Like he, you know, in-season, off-season, like there was school days where he couldn't come because he had practice afterward. But like on and off, like I saw him every month for literally that many years, which is crazy. Um, And it was, it's nuts to see a a kid who has extremely bad ADHD. Like I'm talking – I would be training this kid and I would turn around to grab like a dumbbell and I would turn back around and he's gone. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he'd be hiding inside of the tire that we used to flip that was pushed up against the brick wall in the back. And I would be looking for him like for half of my training shift, like just trying to find this kid. And he thought it would be funny, but seeing him grow up and then he gets into high school and he's like talking to me about girls and I'm like giving him advice. And then like, we would go, like I'd go take him to sushi. Like it's just such a crazy thing to think about. Like, but um, to this day, he still reaches out. He still talks to me, he's still in my DM and everything. And he asked a question and we called him P Goody for the longest time. So I'm surprised that he's, that's still his name. But, uh, so P Goody asked, what do you ask? I completely spaced on that question now. <laughs> P Goody, uh, what has been your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? All right. So shout out to P Goody, um, a little history on him, man. Um, do you have anything that comes to your mind right away? Cause you're going to have to answer this too. Yeah, I guess it's, Mine's not like one specific moment, but honestly, I think my biggest challenge that I can think of multiple times throughout my life is not believing in myself. Like just because of bullshit reasons and things that I tell myself that aren't real. But I mean, like we talked about me leaving the corporate world to go raft and there were definitely like every other day I was like, oh shit, I made the wrong choice. Like I can't do this. I'm going to suck. And then I got out here and we were swimming rapids and it was cold and snowy and I was like I can't do this I should give up and and then more recently like I went all in on my fitness and nutrition um with the boom boom team and same thing I was like I can't do this like I'm not am I even good at this and it's like bullshit you know so that's why I really like it when I have clients that tell me like hey, this is the first time I've slept seven hours every day for a week in like my whole life or all my headaches are gone. Like I've never felt better in the gym since starting your plan. And, you know, I'm like, there's a reason I chose this career and I'm passionate about it and I am making a difference. So it's definitely something I still struggle with. I think a lot of people do, unfortunately, just because it's easier to tell yourself you can't do it than to push through that mental barrier. But I'd say how I overcame it, honestly, I've been journaling a lot lately, which this is something I picked up from working with you um, way back when from the mentorship program. But I've been journaling, like, what is the negative story that I'm telling myself? Like, 
I don't have enough time. You know, I'll write that down and then I'll go through it and correct, write down all the reasons like why that's wrong because that because something is a priority or because I do have time, you know, and just kind of pick apart that crap story bit by bit um, because it's not true, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I'd say that's been a big help. And also this sounds silly, but like I talk to myself a lot and do, you know, positive affirmations and talking to yourself in the mirror or before you go to bed or first thing when you wake up. Yes, it does seem really silly at first, but it makes a huge difference. Like your mind is so powerful. So if you can change what you're saying to yourself, it will make a world of difference. 100%. I, I love that exercise. It's actually like something that I've implemented, but in different ways. So I like the way you did that. So just like going right to the point, writing out the negative story. And I think if I had to pick one thing like that, I'm going to try to find a situation because I think that's what he was asking. But that was my answer on Instagram. And I think that's my main answer too, is like just self-limiting beliefs. Like we all go through it and, and I do the exact same things. Like I write self-affirmations every morning. I am a leader. I am a good father. Um, I love my family. I love my body. I love my lifestyle, everything. Like be thankful for those things, appreciate those things, recognize those things. Um, and that's a big one for me too, is like every quarter I do this. Um, and this is something I stole from uh, Steve Krebs, my old mentor. And he was basically like, all right, we were on, we would always do these group calls call the guys in the, the mentor group. And he would basically be like, all right, I want you to take a journal out and write down every single thing you've accomplished since the beginning of the year. And this would be like a, every, you know, three to four months we'd do this. And you'd write down for five minutes, so many big and little things that you've accomplished. Right. And you start to realize like, holy shit, there's a lot of things on this list that I would have killed to do way back or that I'm so proud of, but I haven't recognized or celebrated or appreciated whatsoever. I've just kind of blown right past them. And I think that's a big key too, is like just constantly re reassuring yourself, like, man, I did that. Like I accomplished this. I am good at this. Like things are going well. Um, otherwise you're just going to constantly look forward, which is good. But if you constantly look forward and never appreciate what's behind you or what you're doing now, you're just going to live in a constant state of anxiety because all you're thinking about is what if, what if, what if. Um, so I agree hundred percent. I think that's so huge. Um, if I had to pick one single situation, um, I think for me, it was, it wasn't one situation. It was one month in my life. And it's actually a year, um, a year ago this month, October. Um, actually it would be like a three month period, but there was like this period of time in 2017 where so many big things happened. It was just the most overwhelming thing I've ever been through. Um, but basically we found out we were having a child. I put an offer on a house. Um, I quit my job, so went all in on my business. Um, I was traveling. Like I literally committed to so many different things at once. It was just insane. Like to think about buying a home while quitting a job within the same week is just nuts. Um, I proposed to Shannon that weekend and we were, we just found out we were having a baby. So it was literally like all these things and my head was about to explode. And I was like, this is my chance to make shit happen. Like I have one option and that's win. Right, create something, build something, uh, help more people, reach more people, create more content, like do anything I possibly can. Um, and it, and I proved it. I did it. We built a business, got a house. We're getting married. Baby's healthy as hell. Right, like everything worked out fine. We have a team now. Like it's growing. Like, but it's just proof that like I was in a position where I woke up every morning with anxiety, thinking there's no way I could do this. Like I don't have any help. I'm by myself. Like 
I have to support a family. Like, but I made shit happen because I chased my passion. I just did what I love and that was it. Right. And it was just like, what am I doing well right now? Okay. Let me do 10 times more of that. And I think that's where a lot of people I've been talking to a lot of my mentor clients about this lately is like, look at your time, look at your time blocks. Where can you fit in more shit? Where can you do more? How can you do better? I guarantee there's a million places where we can improve. Um, and I've done this time and time again. Like I looked at my time block and was like, okay, I have from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. 5 p.m. is my cutoff. How much shit can I cram in there? And it's literally like, like when I hired Tori, she was just like, this is chaos. Like, thank God for her like helping me with my schedule. But she was just like, this doesn't even make sense. How do you go about it? And I'm like, I just don't think. I just do. Like I have a mission and I'm just here to accomplish that mission. But I was in a position, a lot of people listen, were like, fuck, I can't be that way. I'm not that enthusiastic. I'm not that, like, I'm not a risk taker. And it's like, well, neither was I. I sat comfortable for years until I really needed to make a decision and chase what I loved. So anybody has the possibility of doing it. Um, but it's doing those little things that you talked about that helped me get through that time. Every single morning I journaled. Every single morning I went on a walk and I would do what's called the stack, which is something from Wake Up Warrior, where I basically it's pretty, it's kind of like positive focus, which a lot of people listen to this know, you know, um, and wake up warriors who introduced me to positive folks as well. But it's instead of like those four questions, it's literally like 38 questions, like it's super long. And it, yeah, and it starts with in this moment, who or what has triggered you to feel pissed off, angry, sad, hurt, emotional, upset, like a bunch of things. And then um, I'm not going to break it down because it's their, their form, but they basically dive deep into why you're having these emotions. So every single morning I would go on a walk and I would talk to my phone and I would answer these questions and it would dig and dig. And what it does is it reverses the situation that you're pissed about onto you. And you realize that you're kind of being a hypocrite. You do the same thing. You're not appreciative. You're not grateful, like all these different things. And I would have these revelations every morning. Um, but before I go on too much of a rant, I think like the things that helped me overcome that hard time where I really was pushed into a corner and did not believe that I was going to make this out. And I just, it, it, what helped me overcome it was all the little cheesy things that you listening to this don't want to do. Looking in the mirror and telling yourself you love yourself, writing down, you are enough. You are a leader. You can make it like anything, any of those little cheesy things that you hear, like motivational gurus do that you just look at and you're like, okay, whatever, do them because they work and they help. And they, it's a placebo effect. You start telling yourself that you can accomplish this shit. And then you realize that everybody who has accomplished whatever it is, was in the same exact position, had self-doubt, had self-limiting beliefs, didn't really feel like they could be enough or make it or anything, and they did it. So you kind of start to put yourself in this position of like, why not me? And then you realize like everything you've done, you created on your own. And if you did it then, you can do it now. Um, so just to echo what you're saying, I think it's just all those little practices and just constantly reminding myself I can do it. And then just doubling down on my time, having time blocks and being like OCD about my time is one of the best things that I've ever done because it just makes everything more efficient. Yeah. Kind of, can I skip around on these questions? Mm -hmm. That kind of goes into that other one. Yeah. So Mutsa Vollmer asked, how do you find balance with life, work, and family? Also, do you have any strategies to keep motivated with working out and nutrition? Yeah. Um, how I balance, I think this is where a lot of entrepreneurs and, and successful business owners will completely bullshit you and, and tell you a lie. Um, I don't honestly think balance is possible. Um, I think you're always going to lean in one way, to be honest. And, and I think a lot of people are like, they'll paint this picture of like, have it all, like 
you can, you know, have time with your family and make this money and do what you love and be ripped. And it's like, to be honest with you, no, you can't. You're always going to lean in one direction. When I was getting ready for the photo shoot, I was leaning more in that direction. Um, I didn't produce as much content because I couldn't. Like, I was so focused on creating the best body possible. Um, I had less time with my family because I had to be more specific about meal prep and cardio and things like that. Um, like, my personal time went down because I couldn't go to the beer tasting thing that I like to go to or go have wine. Like, you know what I mean? I had to stay on this. So my, my, I still had every piece of my life in check, but most of my focus was on my body. Um, before that I let my body take a slip. Like I wasn't ripped. I wasn't shredded like I like to be, but my business was excelling. I was helping more people. I was reaching more people. I was building the brand. Like that was my focus. But I also for a long time literally had like an hour, maybe two with Shannon every day, if that, and it was basically like, Hey, let's jump in bed and watch Netflix until we fall asleep. Because I was waking up in the morning, I was working on my business and I was going to the gym and I was working and she supported that. But I was like, work, 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 work. It took me a long time before I could say I'm done at five, no exceptions. And even now it's like, get as much done as I can. Like it's like 450, like trying to finish. But now I can have a little more balance and I can have time with them. But it, it's, you know, like periodization and training, it's periodization of your life. <laughs> There's times where business has to be the grind. And there are certain days in my week where I don't have balance because that day is the busiest day of my week and it is all on business. And there's certain days in my week where I don't touch business. Saturday is a good example of that. I don't touch business. I wake up and I still do my morning routine, but it's family. Like that's why I don't post on Instagram. That's why like, if I have a story on Instagram, you'll think I'm like, just like super dad mode. Cause it's just a Blakely and it's because it's family day. Right. So I think they're, the, the closest thing you can get to balancing is trying to be literally OCD again about your time, like looking at your day and being like, instead of me thinking that I'm going to have all of these things at once, let me put more focus onto one thing at this time, one more focus into one, this thing at this time. And because of that, like over the course of months and years, I think you'll have a better balance and you'll be happier. Um, but you can't ever have a complete balance. It's just bullshit. It's never going to happen. Um, so for me, it came down to understanding what time blocks are, right? I have time blocks for my personal eating and training. I have time blocks for my personal downtime and meditation and spirituality and emotional and just keeping myself centered. I have personal or specific time for my family and I have a lot of time for my business. And honestly, like the reason there's no balance is because the majority of my time is spent on business because that's what it takes to build a big business. So um, yeah, I don't think there is balance. I think it just comes down to... Uh, sectioning off your time properly, maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I was going to say to this one too. Like balance is so elusive. I mean, yes, you should make time at least a little bit each day to make sure that all those sections of your life are in check, that you're giving your family some time, you're giving your body some time, um, and you're giving your career some time. But the biggest thing I would say is know that periodization. Like if you love summer and you have a bunch of barbecues and that's like your family vacation time and that's your busiest social time, don't plan a super intense diet or training program over the summer, you know, because you won't have as much time to go to those barbecues and the family vacations. So if you're, if you want to get really shredded by, February, you know, then just know that the time before that, those couple months before that, your social calendar is going to be more boring and 
you might not have much time for work and family during those months. So you just kind of, you got to think about where you want to spend your time, when you want things to happen and think long-term about it because yeah, you can kind of balance from like a year long standpoint, but that every day is super tricky, especially if you have really specific goals. So you just got to be honest with yourself. Like what is your priority right now? Okay. That's where you're going to spend 50% or more of your time. Right. Yeah. And then also, Oh, sorry. I need, yeah, I need to chime in on that. I think it's good that you pointed out the year long perspective too. Cause if, if we took that scenario and we go, okay, summer is busy. You don't want to be dieting then. So that means we're going to diet, um, midwinter spring so you get shredded for summer and then we're going to put you into a maintenance phase where we can actually reverse diet you give you more flexibility um when you look at a year and you go oh, okay she was dieting here she was maintaining here she was getting like that's a balance right but like you said if you look at the time where you were cutting it isn't balanced it's not balanced whatsoever so i think if you remember that long-term scale and you go okay over the course of the year this will be balanced and it will be worth it and there will be times of flexibility there will be times of more not rigidness but more of a grind and stuff like that. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, so I just want to echo what you said, because I think it's so important for people to understand that it doesn't need to be balanced now, but if you scope out, it will be balanced. And then echoing the thing about family that you said is like, I think just having your priorities, right? Like, so for me, my balance it during the week is kind of out of whack because it does take a lot of my time to build the business. But like you knew this cause yesterday. So like, uh, my daughter got sick and basically I, you know, I canceled calls. I canceled the uh, content I was doing. I canceled a uh, podcast with you. We had to do it this morning. Um, yesterday got adjusted and it was basically like, I don't want Shannon to go to the doctor alone. I'm going to be there. Like it is what it is. That's my priority. It's now I'm, I have to fuck up my balance in my business and create more balance in my family because that's my priority. So, um, and I worked late. Like I was in bed answering emails at 9 PM. Like that's not a part of my time block, but I had to do it because I was doing what I had to do. So, and again, that's not balance. Um, so I think being okay with not always needing to be in perfect balance is probably the best way to look at that. And I think that's funny because I don't think that's the answer anybody gets from other people. Be okay with being out of balance. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, and then he, the last part of his question was how do you, or do you have any strategies to keep motivated with working out and nutrition? My answer is like the cheesiest answer that I can possibly give. Um, my answer yes. is um, basically I I look at like this life as a game and I kind of think of it like I have this like character in this game, right? Or like this vessel to carry me through this this journey. And I only get one. Like there's literally, it's a, like it's not a video game where I can like, like respond back and come out of the little tunnel that Mario comes out of or eat a mushroom and get bigger again. But it's, it's like literally like I have one and it sounds like I'm not saying like YOLO, like you only live once, but it, it really is that like I get one chance. And to me, like I remember what it feels like to be very out of shape and uncomfortable in my body, not avoiding the lake, avoiding taking my shirt off, sweating when I was like walking up a hill, like that shit is not comfortable and it's not fun. And I don't want to feel that way ever again. So to me, my motivation to keep training is just remembering that and just knowing that like literally this is the only body I'll ever get. So like, why would I not want it to think better, be more clear, be more productive, have more muscle, have less pain, be faster, be stronger. Like I never really have to do anything intense or crazy, but like a good example is we went to, I was in uh, San Diego for a bachelor party and it was like 
we tried to do something and it got canceled. So we were like, let's go to the beach. And somebody gave us a volleyball and we played volleyball for like three hours. And I can honestly say that I was in the sand playing volleyball three hours straight. I didn't take a rest. I was one of the people that was in the game constantly. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't fit. You know what I mean? And have a few beers while doing that. Like that's not capable for most people. But that's what life's about, being able to do things on the fly. Like if you weren't fit, there's no way in hell you would be able to be a rap guide. Like it's just impossible. So I think like to just be able to know that I can take on life's experiences and that my quality of life day to day is going to be so much better because I'm fit and healthy and lean and eating well. Um, I think that's, that's my main motivation. And I think if people, this is the cool thing about elimination diet, even if you don't have an intolerance, I think everybody should spend two to three weeks at least cutting out shitty food, tracking macros and doing those things, whether you work with a coach or not, because what you'll notice is like, it'll go two ways. Either you do that and you feel amazing. You realize that you're way more focused. You have better energy, your workouts are better, so on and so forth. You're sleeping better, or you won't really feel much. And then three, four weeks later, you introduce ice cream again, and you'll feel so shitty that you realize that your old norm was shitty. Like that motivates me. So I think it's a, it's a longer winded answer than I had planned, which is common with me. But I think the, yeah, like we have, we have one vessel to live this life. I think it's just important to make it, make it a good one. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, bottom line, your health matters. It matters to your loved ones, your friends and family. It matters to your productivity, to your goals, like your health matters for living a long, healthy, happy, active life. Right. So I mean, maybe, maybe this guy, who was it? Mutha, maybe you're asking, um, because like you're sick of the routine that you have right now. And if that's the case and you don't want to go to the gym because you're sick of either the program you're following or the type of cardio you're doing, don't be afraid to switch it up too. Like if you're getting really bored with one something in your life, like make a little change, maybe add in walks on your lunch break instead or join the boom boom elite and get some fresh programming or you know just don't be afraid to make a little change if the reason that you're feeling unmotivated is because like you're bored right 100% agree and i think that's most important with cardio like obviously there's times and places to vary training like some, some of your training has to be consistent like i'll be i'll be completely honest like my neurotype like I like change. I like variety. So for me, like my compounds, they do not change week to week. So I'm focused on strength right now. I want to build those. I don't change them, but my accessory work, it will change. If I have a T-bar row, I switch my grip or my pause or my negative, or I do a drop set. Like I switch those things on a week to bi-weekly basis because it keeps it fun, keeps engaging. Cardio, I change every single week. Like and I think that's important because I, I will program cardio for people and usually at, at the very least intervals will change week to week. Um, but if you're one of those people that gets bored quick, like tell me as a coach, I have one person that I write their, their cardio, um, two people now, I change their cardio every week. Every time they send me assessment, I give them new cardio because it's like, I want to keep you engaged and keep you having fun because it gets stale. Like, yeah. so I a hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next question. Nick Farrow asks carbs versus fats if you are managing overall caloric intake and getting the right amount of protein does the split between fat and carbs matter do your overall goals dictate your carb fat split so every time i so he's a boom boom elite member as well every time i hear his name um i think of like egyptian 
because like a pharaoh I, like I think of like this gold and like all this i love egyptian shit too so shout out to nick um i answered this question to him and i said i think i said something that was very much of like an oxymoron i said um the literature shows that it doesn't matter at all but in my experience it matters quite a bit and i think that the reason i say that is because you know studies will show calories in versus calories out is all that matters um i think the problem with this is that Number one, um, if they are just, if they are untrained individuals, sedentary individuals, and they go into a plant, yes, calories matter and that's it. Um, if they are an experienced bodybuilder or CrossFitter, macros matter more than calories. Um, when we're tracking macros, macros matter more than calories because macros don't change. Calories are rounded on food labels. Therefore, your calories are never really accurate in my fitness pal, where your macros will be. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why this kind of goes back and forth. But to me, where the biggest difference comes in is what are your goals? What is your current muscle mass? And what is your um, training like? Because A, if your goal is to build muscle or build strength or get lean to where you can see muscle versus just lose weight, like let's talk lose body fat versus lose weight, then I believe a higher carb, lower fat, or just moderate fat approach is probably going to be better for you. Um, if you are a bodybuilder or a CrossFitter or doing anything that's very glycolytic, I think you need more carbs in your diet than fat because you just need it for training. Um, and then also like if, if you're currently have a lot of muscle mass, your body's going to eat up carbs better. You're going to have better insulin sensitivity. You're going to utilize carbs better, um, versus being a little overweight or just not having muscle mass. You're probably not going to put the carbs to work as well. Or if you're training three days a week, full body in like a circuit fashion, like not super intense, you probably don't need many carbs, right? Um, and then in the case of like, you want to lose weight, you care about health and you don't give a shit about muscle, then I would probably say like, let's lower carbs because carbs actually speed up the aging process. So we might want to go with a higher fat approach because all you care about is being healthy and living a longer life, which I get for me personally, I want to live long, but right now I care more about performing well and being jacked like, and I'm okay admitting that. So for now I'm going to have a higher carb approach. So, um, I think at the end of the day, it's kind of like a tier system. Like number one, if you've never done anything at all and you're at the beginning, focus on calories because they do matter most technically. But as you get more advanced and you get more specific, um, and this has been shown in, uh, they did a really cool study. Uh, it was like 24 to 36 weeks, I think. And it basically, they documented uh, like eight to 10, I think it was like a lot of different bodybuilders and bikini competitors throughout their whole entire prep. And they managed their testosterone, their estrogen levels, their cortisol, everything. Um, and every single one of them, um, or all the ones that did the best, maintained the most muscle, so on and so forth, they actually had a higher carb approach. They actually ranked higher in the, the judges as well because they maintained more muscle mass because they had more carbs in their diet, whether that's because carbs build more muscle or because carbs helped their training during the cutting process. We don't know, but either way, we know that they did better on stage and they maintained more muscle mass during the cut and they had more carbs. So I think it just depends on your goals. Um, I think it does matter though. Yeah. I mean, his, the last part of his question was, do your overall goals dictate your carbs and fats basically? And so he hit it on the head. Like, yeah, your goals are definitely going to dictate it. I mean, like you said, is performance your goal? You're going to need carbs. If maybe you have, we kind of talked about insulin sensitivity earlier. Like maybe you have some insulin sensitivity, you're probably going to go lower carb, higher fat. So yeah, I mean, you gave a great overview. So <laughs> I think, I think too, it depends on like, um, 
if we go back to that periodization we were talking about earlier, like it kind of matters on that as well. Like I have somebody right now who does well on high carbs. They need it for their training, but they're having some gut issues. Um, they have some insulin issues. They have some cortisol issues now. So we're actually going to completely flip it. And we literally are going, okay, you're consuming, you know, they're not a, a big person and they're on a cut, but I think they were still eating over 200 grams carbs. So a good amount of carbs for a cut. Um, and they felt good in the gym and everything like that. But we literally were like, okay, now I want you eating like 75 grams of carbs. And it was like, what? And I didn't cut calories. I just cranked fat up. And the reason being is because let's manage cortisol. Let's manage your cravings that you're having. Let's manage your gut health. Let's manage all these things. Um, and lo and behold, her cravings are going away. She's getting better results. Insulin sensitivity is improving. Um, blood glucose levels are improving. So I think it, it just depends on where you're at. And, and I know a lot of people in the physique world that will do that with competitors too. It's like, okay, we're in a gaining phase and we're getting to a point where we need to slow down. We're going to enter a keto phase for four to six weeks to reset your insulin, cut some body fat, not prioritize gains, and then we'll come right back to carbs when you're more insulin sensitive. So um, it depends on where you're at too. Yeah, definitely. All right. Do we have time for, we've got a couple more. Yep, let's do it. As long as you're good, I'm good. All right. Jen Johnston asks, I'd love if you guys could touch on how you go about talking to friends and family about their health, food, choices, and lifestyle in general when they aren't exactly asking for advice or help, but you care, so you just want to help. LOL. <laughs> I'm always worried it will come off as being judgmental or like I'm watching their every move. I find it hard to know when you say something, when to say something, and when to keep things to myself, even if it's coming from a place of love. That's a long question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that to me, it's I'm like one of those people that I'm like, I don't do anything. I just, I just do me. And if I hate that saying too, I'm gonna do me. I don't like that, but I just said it. Um, I just think that if I do what I do for myself. Um, they will do it as well because they will see the positive benefits if they feel like they need it or they want it. I don't think you, you can't force anybody to do anything. And the more you try to force somebody, the more you resist, right? It's like, if I tell you not to do something, what's the first thing you want to do? Do it. If I tell you, don't think about a pink elephant, what are you gonna think of? Fucking pink elephant. Like it's, it's the same thing with fat loss, right? Like you should really eat this way. Or you should do this. And it's like, um, and I think it's going to lead to them not doing it. So for most people, this is where the hardest part for me is with uh, Shannon, because um, I'm like, oh, like pregnancy and postpartum, like these are the best things to do when you're pregnant and when you just had a baby and for breastfeeding and like you should do all these things. And it's probably not what I should be doing. I probably shouldn't be like cramming information at her. Um, but I care so much that I want to do it. So like now that I'm voicing how you probably shouldn't do that, I'm realizing I do it. It's kind of funny how that works. Um but I don't know. I think like I think the best way to is just to kind of keep to yourself and just do your thing and let them if they ask questions, feel free to share. Right. I think that's the best thing. Like if somebody asks a question, be open and share with them. Tell them what you're doing because then they're showing interest. But if you try to force that interest, I just I don't think it's gonna work. Yeah, I guess I kind of agree with you, but also I feel like there's a reason why you might be worried about your loved one. So that might be a good way to bring something up. Like if you're worried about them because they're always stressed out or you know they're not sleeping or something like that, I think it would be okay to you know send them a blog on sleep or send them a podcast about stress management. Like if you kind of see that window and they're telling you that they're maybe struggling a little bit with this or that, yeah, definitely try to send them some resources. Because um, then maybe 
if, if you're sending them articles or blogs or posts or podcasts, it's less of you coming off as you need to change this, you yeah. know, and more of like, Hey, I saw this cool thing. I thought you might like it, you know? So sometimes it's just about how you phrase things or how you deliver things that it might make it seem more like you are coming from that place of love versus being judgmental. That's actually a really good point too. Cause I think if, I guess I was just looking at it like, I think this person needs to change. So I'm going to tell them stuff, but I think you're hundred percent on point. Like if my dad, uh, he had um, stem cell injections in both of his hips and um, he wasn't able to like walk very well on them and stuff. So I could see a little bit of atrophy. I could tell he was in pain. Like he didn't know anything about nutrition and he came to me and was like, this is just killing me. Like, I, I don't know how to speed up recovery. So I did exactly what you said. I was like, Hey, read this. Like, I think you should do this, like implement this, but I wasn't being judgmental or hard about it. And it worked. Um, and I also agree with you hundred percent. I think sending them stuff is a really good idea because then it's not really you telling them to do anything. It's just you sharing what experts in that field have done so um, and even if you are like if I'm a sleep expert and a random person at the grocery store asks me questions they're gonna like take my advice on sleep if my wife or my brother or anybody else asks me about sleep they're they're gonna kind of brush it off because I'm the brother or the husband not the sleep expert anymore right so I think um, I think you're hit the nail on the head with that one yeah all right cool we got one more plank holds I'm talking like five mins. Oh, sorry. This is from Marty Mar underscore HF. There we go. Uh, I'm talking like five mins, five plus mins. Is there a continual benefit or cap out at a certain point of holding planks? Marty Mar. Shout out to Marty Mar. He has been listening to the podcast for like two years. Nice. Oh, man. Um, and he actually said he, I have him on my website. He did a, he sent me a testimonial after he did the nutrition hierarchy, just, just followed the books principles and he got shredded. It was crazy. Um, so I think that there's diminishing returns usually for a couple of reasons. Number one, usually when you get past a certain amount of time, your, your core is just disengaged. Like imagine trying to like in the reason people don't realize this is because when your core gives up, your hip flexors kick in, your the the spinal erectors and your QL and the things around your lumbar spine that you shouldn't be using for a plank kick in, um, your low back sinks in. You're still able to maintain the plank, but it's not you're not getting the full benefit out of it. It's like thinking about like if I sat here and flex my bicep, how long could I actually flex my bicep for? Right? Like probably not very long. I could hold my arm like this for a really long time, not flexing but I couldn't hold that static flex in, in a plank. It's the same thing. People will get into a position if they're doing it properly, tuck the tailbone, pull the rib cage down, flex your abs and hold that. And if you can't, if you go past 30, 40, 50, 60 seconds, cool. If you're past a minute and a half and eh, two minutes, like you're probably not flexing anymore. It's just, I think you'd be better off taking that five minute period and breaking it up into a bunch of sets of smaller planks and actually creating more tension. So I do believe there's diminishing returns because I don't think you can hold a static flexed position with your muscle for that long and i don't think that you can maintain the proper posture throughout that plank hold for that long um and i think it's just like it's a dick measuring contest how long can i plank like that's not <laughs> nobody cares right right yeah and it, you gotta just be honest with yourself like if you're holding any sort of movement and it you know that your form's going to shit i mean what's the point like i've seen people do you know that bring sally up I've seen people do that with front squats and they're holding it at the bottom and their low back, their back is like 
totally arced. I mean, what, what are you doing? You're just going to hurt yourself. So there's, yes, I mean, at some point it is just a dick measuring contest and you've got to just cut it out, do yeah. something else, take weight off, do small holds. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> there's like competitions where people will be like, uh, because somebody, I, I answered this question like really shortly. I was like, I'm going to do this on the podcast, but no, I think it's not good. Somebody was like, uh, Kelly actually, one of the mentor clients was like, I held one for 12 minutes. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, competition. I was like, I want a Kill Cliff drink. <laughs> I was like, oh, good for you. That's it. Yeah. That's um, all you get for 12 minute plank. <laughs> right. So I was cracking up. But like, there's times where there's competition. Cool. You do that once. It's for fun. There's a community of people. I get it. But to do like every Thursday on your leg day, you're doing core as well and you're doing a five minute plank. Like, no, that's just pointless. Yeah. Cool. Good questions, guys. So. Before we let you go, I have to ask you the question because I ask everybody who's on the show the question. Do I get the question? You yes. get the question. So um, you're at a dinner table. There's three seats in front of you. It can be anybody you want to sit at that dinner table, alive or dead, but it cannot be friends or family. Who is sitting at that table? So obviously I listen to the podcast and I've had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> so my answers are kind of thought out. <laughs> but my first one... My first guest would be Sarah Sigmund's daughter, who's a CrossFit athlete. Hopefully most of you guys know her because she's a total badass. And she, like, if you actually read her posts and listen to watch her videos and stuff, she's a total goofball too, it seems like. So I would love to just meet her because she seems really funny. And also she's a beast. So she would be my first guest. My second one would be um, Cheryl Strayed. She's the author that wrote Wild about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, hopefully, if you guys haven't read that book, it is a great book, so go read Wild. Um, but she also did a podcast for a little while, and she did a lot of, it was kind of like a Dear Abby, is that what that old column was? Mm -hmm. Like you write in and kind of ask life questions and stuff, and she gave great advice. So it'd be fun to have her there and to give me some awesome life advice and to talk about hiking the PCT because that seems really hard and I would love to do something like that one day. And then my last one would be Anthony Bourdain. I am so bummed he is not with us anymore. He was like that one person that I always thought the stars would align at some point in my life and I would just meet him somewhere really cool because I like to travel too. <laughs> and unfortunately, I won't be able to meet him. So sad, but I love his, his humor. I love his books, his shows. He was a great TV star and author and personality. So we would have to have him there to, you know, get drunk and tell funny stories. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's a, I, I haven't, I don't know wild, but I'm going to have to check that out now. Cause that does sound interesting. And usually people who do, the book people is who do, People do who do crazy shit like that always have amazing outlooks on life. And um, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the movie Adrift? No, but I want to. It way better. It's always out. <laughs> way better than I thought it would be. We we got it at Redbox because it was like, we're at the grocery store. I was like, hey, let's grab Redbox. Eh, looks all right. Like, fuck, let's get it. I thought it was going to be like a romantic novel. Like, and yeah, that's why my husband won't let me get it. Like, oh, no, it's yeah. not at all. It's literally about like her being stranded on a boat for like, it, 
months or whatever. I can't remember the time. It's, it's probably about a month or two or something. Just a crazy amount of time, barely surviving on a broken ship. Um, and there's like the biggest twist. I'm not going to ruin it for you now because you got to see it, but it's a huge twist in the, in the movie. But that person has done interviews and done books and stuff like that. I think since, and it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a true story. It shows a real person at the end. No way. Yeah. which, Which makes it way better. Yeah. So check that out. I love it. All right. Well, Caroline, thank you for coming on the show today. We're going to have to do this again because I think that went really well. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.